Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of good things happen in September. Um, not just the countdown to Christmas beginning, uh, but also um, Wednesday gatherings. Our Wednesday gatherings started up again. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Wednesday gatherings ha- happen on a Wednesday. And every other week we meet here and we have some teaching, but it's uh, a shorter talk. And then we go off into groups and we have a chat about what we've heard and we decide um, the answers to some questions that um, we take away with us uh, for the rest of the week. So this week, uh, it was my turn. I was lucky enough to share some thoughts, and I chose to do it on the subject of AI. Now, AI is something, artificial intelligence, is in the world already. Some people love it. Some people are terrified of it. Some people, like me, if I'm honest, don't really care about it. Um, that is, of course, unless my hoover starts to boss me about. But during the discussion... Um, the discussion section of the evening, we got talking, our group did, got talking about souls and uh, what is a soul, whether animals have souls, um, if AI could replace a soul. And it was interesting and safe to say we still don't know. Uh, We didn't actually come to a conclusion. So I asked Google. Google defines the word soul as the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal regarded as immortal. Which sounds very clinical and not quite right to me. The Oxford English Dictionary is a bit closer. It defines the soul as the spiritual or immaterial part of a person considered in relation to God and religious or moral precepts. Precepts meaning uh, rules that God has given us to follow. It's closer, but I'm still not convinced. Scottish poet, author, and minister George MacDonald once wrote, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. I like that. I think that's a bit closer. But it's an interesting concept, isn't it, that we're inside these bodies. These are not us. They're just something we have. I'm still the same person after I get my hair cut. I'm just far more handsome. (laughs) October 4th. (laughs) Coming to a church near you. I'm still the same person when I clip my toenails. I'm still the same person when I shave my nose hair because I'm getting to that age. We exist outside of our bodies. I've recently started my new monthly tradition of trying to be healthy. We'll see how long this one lasts. But as a society, we're obsessed with health and making our bodies as healthy as they could possibly be. For vegans, um, often people go vegan for health reasons, and it almost becomes part of their personality. People go keto, meaning that they don't eat carbs, they just eat meat and dairy and vegetables in order to be healthier. Then there's the paleo diet. That's a funny one. It's the eat like a caveman diet. Um, You get rid of all carbs, all sugars, all dairy, and you eat raw veg and barely cooked meat, just like a caveman. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I think of living for a really long time, I often think of cavemen. We spend all this time looking for ways to care for our physical health, for ways to look after these temporary bodies we live inside, but we don't often take much notice 
of the health of our souls, our spiritual health. So today, we're going to look at how through God, we are spiritually well, but it's not a done deal. We're going to look at how we can keep our spiritual health up, how we can exercise it, and the misconceptions that usually get mixed in. So back in AD 62, 62 AD is the normal way of saying that, Paul was in prison in Rome. He'd been locked up for his teachings, his teachings about Jesus. Knowing that there was still work to be done, telling people about Jesus, this time that he was in prison, Paul wrote three letters to different churches uh, that are now each books in the New Testament, and one of those was Ephesians. So we're going to look at Ephesians today. Ephesians was written to the churches in Ephesus, uh, a port town on the west coast of what is now Turkey. There are still ruins of the city, actually. You can go and visit it today. It's still there. But being a port town, there would be lots of people that would come and go. And having people come and go from your city was a good thing, but also a bad thing. Good, because Paul knew that there would be lots of people there to share the good news with, to tell about Jesus to. Bad, because with so many people coming and going in and out of the city, sin was everywhere. You know how when you're driving around Guernsey and someone cuts you up or gets in your way, you would never dream of swearing at them? Because in that car could be your GP. It could be your kid's teacher. It could be your great auntie Jean. You would never swear at them. But as soon as you get to England, as soon as that 40 mile an hour speed limit is there, when people whiz past you, you say things you never thought you'd say out loud. And you don't care because you think, well, what are they going to do? They don't know where I live. Such is the freedom in cities. But in Ephesus, it was much, much worse. So Paul wrote them all a letter, and he explained to them that their spiritual health was non-existent. He told them quite plainly, in fact, that they were spiritually dead. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul doesn't mean that they were literally dead. Of course there wasn't. He was writing them a letter. He means that they were spiritually dead because they chose to live in sin. We have these things in English called binaries in language that we use all the time. Two things that make up two sides of something. Hot, cold, up, down, light, dark, life, death. Paul says that we are spiritually dead because of sin. How then can we be spiritually alive? In verse 4, he tells us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right, what's he talking about? Well, Paul is saying that regardless of our sin, regardless of how far we are from God, God loves us so much. He sent Jesus to earth to pay for that sin, to make us alive again. All we have to do is believe And we're saved. All we have to do. We have to believe and we're saved. But that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? We have to do something. And we never want to do something. We just want things. So let's go back a bit into the letter. Uh, Back to verse 2, where Paul um, writes when he's talking about this sin. Um, 
he talks about sin as something in which you once walked. He didn't write that we were thrown into sin. He didn't write that we were afflicted by sin. He didn't write that sin had been cast upon us. He said, we walked with sin. That means it's a choice. If I decide to walk over there, I'm choosing to do that. If I choose to steal something, I'm choosing to do that. We have the choice to sin, but equally we have the choice to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Back to verse 5. Even when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Well, we don't tend to use that word grace as it's written here. When we use the word grace or graceful, we tend to think of a person, usually a lady, usually in a ball gown, usually dancing with a prince somewhere. We think of someone who moves around really elegantly. Grace is the Hebrew word chanan, or the Greek word charis, meaning the state of kindness and favor towards someone, often with a focus on a benefit given to the object. State of kindness and favor. We are the object. God wants to bless us and do nice things for us. That's all he wants, without any strings attached. So he did the nicest thing he could think of. He said, I tell you what, so long as you're nice to each other and you believe that I am real, you can have eternal life. You can live forever. Because I'm going to send my son to come and die for all the sins that you've committed and all the sins you're going to commit, and then you can come and live with me. What a gift. How good's that? That's better than any pair of socks or creases voucher I've ever been given. It's amazing. The remarkable thing about this kind act, which still confuses me, is when people who don't want to believe or people who choose not to believe, who have a problem with you believing, say, well, if God was really that kind, he'd let us all live with him. Whether we believed or not, he'd let everyone do it. So surely... Your God isn't that kind. Because even though I don't want to believe in him, if he was, he'd let me live forever as well. And the reason that annoys me is because the people who think that don't see how much kinder God's way of doing things is. He says, if you love me, you will live forever with me. If you don't love me, I don't want to keep you. I don't want to put you somewhere you don't want to be. The only place where there is no presence of God is hell. If I said to you, oh, it's raining outside, I tell you what, you will stay here, we'll get some pizzas in, we'll have a lovely night. Some of you will go, yeah, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Some of you go, no thanks, Matt, I think I'm going to go home. If I then locked the door and said, no, 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 <laughs> sit down. That's not kind. That's kidnapped. I'm being a kidnapper. God wants us to be happy. If you don't choose him, he's not going to kidnap you and force you to spend eternity with him. God's kind. He wants you to make your choice. Verse 8 of Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not by your own doing. This is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
The only way that we can have eternal life, the only way that we can be saved is the gift of God. This is how we're made spiritually alive. This is how we're able to know Jesus, through God's gift to us. It's really important to remember that we are saved through grace, the kindness, that is, of God, not by our works, not by anything we do. Works, in a Christian term, mean good deeds, doing nice things for each other, doing as we're told in the Bible. Those things are amazing, and we should do them all, but that's not how you get into heaven. That's not how you were saved. Just because the person sat next to you volunteered in a homeless shelter for four more days than you did doesn't mean they get a better seat in heaven. We are all saved through grace. The rest is extra. Which brings me to the uh, answer to the question I asked earlier. What can we do to make our spiritual lives more healthy? Well, I saw a meme on Instagram recently um, which I've amended slightly, but it goes like this. You don't need to do good works to be a Christian. You also don't need to go home to be married. But if you don't, your relationship will break down over time. Good works are the spiritual diet that help us get closer to Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. By acting like Jesus, we grow closer to him. In doing so, we can give our hearts to him again and again. We can show him how grateful we are for God's gift. Paul's a great example of this. He wrote 13 books in this Bible, three of which were written during his prison stay. Paul knew that he had been saved. He knew that Jesus was real and that Jesus was God, that Jesus had died for his sins and that because of the grace of God, Paul knew he would have eternal life so long as he believed. He could have stopped there. If I was in prison for the second time after being arrested for trying to help people, beaten up by the guards and left there for five years, I might decide that I've done enough and I'm just waiting for Jesus to take me. But Paul didn't. He continued his good works. When he was at an all-time low, he exercised good works to keep his soul healthy. He decided to pick up a pen or the first century equivalent and write to people and help them to understand their spiritual failings, help them to know about Jesus, help them to glorify God so that they might believe and be saved. We need to be a bit more like Paul. When we feel as though the walls are closing in all around us and there's no way to go, we need to remember that our relationship with Jesus is important. We need to remember to flex those spiritual muscles and connect with Jesus through acts of worship. The English language really doesn't do us any favours. When we think of the word worship, we think of singing, we think of dancing, raising our hands up in the air. But the definition of, of worship is the act of attributing reverent honour and homage to God. 
You can worship God by singing. You can worship God by writing. You can worship God by going to your friend's house and telling them about Jesus for the first time. You can worship God by refusing to let negative thoughts enter into your way of thinking. You can worship God by choosing to be kind to those you don't like and offering them help when they need it. You can worship God by confessing to him of all the wrongdoings you've ever done and asking him for forgiveness. You can worship God by spending an evening buried in your Bible and learning more about him. You know, I learned this week that um, a committed Christian or a committed churchgoer is someone who goes to church at least once a month. Of those people who go once a month or more, only 8% read their Bible at least once a week. That's hardly any. That's not a big number at all. It's literally the word of God right here. People are like, no, 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 I've got better things to do. We can worship God by reading through that Bible. You can worship God in any way that shows your love for him. Matthew 25, 36 to 40 says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. By doing good works in our community, by helping those in need, by loving our neighbour, we grow closer to God. We exercise our spirit and become spiritually healthier. But we need to give thanks at all times because our salvation comes from grace alone. Some of you will know of Tim Keller. Tim Keller was um, a theologian um, and a minister, um, a great speaker. He passed away this year. Um, but there's a video of him, which you can still see on his Instagram, where he talks about grace and talks about Deuteronomy 7. And he talks about Deuteronomy 7 and, um, and paraphrases it. And God said to Israel in this, I'm paraphrasing Tim who paraphrased the Bible. He says... I didn't love you because you were a great nation. You're actually quite a small nation. I didn't love you because you were a rich nation. You're actually quite a poor nation. I didn't love you because you were a strong nation. You're actually quite weak. I love you because I love you. Tim then goes on to talk about Ed Clowney. Ed Clowney, on the same matter, says, I love you just because I love you. That is grace. A man doesn't say to his wife when she asks, do you love me? You're good at tennis. Or, well, it was actually quite convenient for us to move in together because we saved a bit of money. You say, no, of course I love you. Why do you love me? I don't know, I love you. That's why. God loves us. Because he loves us. And I know that there are people in this room that need to hear that, who, who feel like they're not good enough, feel like they need to work hard to make God notice them. Well, guess what? He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you do. 
And God already loves you. Any person driving by now in their cars, God loves them too. Every single one of us. That bit is done. The rest is up to us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as they get ready, I'm just going to say a short prayer. Whilst we are, whilst we are in a time of worship, um, I'm going to ask for the enabling team, some to stand over here and some to stand just sort of at the back or maybe in the foyer. And if you feel like you need someone to pray for you because you don't feel like you're good enough and you need someone to give you a spiritual kick up the backside and tell you, yes, you are, they're there for you. Also, if you want to pray about anything, not quite so aggressive, they're there for you too. So if you'd all, if you're able, please stand and I'll pray for us before we sing. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you want to know us and you want us to know you. Thank you that you have given us the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we remember, that we remember just how blessed we are that you know each of us, know our hearts and know our faith, Lord that you want what's best for us and that you are a kind God. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice made on our behalf when Jesus died for each of our sins. And we pray, Lord, that you will watch over us, guide us, give us strength and motivation to follow in Jesus' footsteps, being the salt and the light to the world so that we may glorify you. Amen.